Yes. And we are live with another awesome. episode of Ask Me Talk, the show that will probably get us all canceled. Um, today, I am joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Batten, and a special <laughs> guest, my friend, Henry Brand. Hi, thank you. Well, as, we, as, as I say at the beginning of every episode of Ask Me Talk, this sort of a place for autistic people to discuss autistic issues. We welcome everybody and we want to have uh, nuanced discussions, but this is unmasked. It's uncensored. We're going to talk about all sorts of things, some of it not directly related to autism, things like politics, religion, economics, touch, sometimes touchy subjects, and it will also be uncensored. So if you are somebody who doesn't like bad words or you're listening with children in the car, I suggest uh, putting on headphones. Or if you're one of those parents, like my dad, was like, well, they're going to learn it anyway. Well, that's <laughs> cool, too. Whatever floats your boat as a parent. Well, I'm actually really excited. We, we had uh, me and Henry, we went to school together. Uh -huh. uh, we had Ryan on last week. That episode should come out a week before this one, hopefully. And that was an awesome conversation, and I'm really excited for this one. Um, so let's start with questions. You want to go first, Stacey, or? I would really, I'm just sort of intrigued that all of you went to school together and you still keep in touch. So how did you guys foster that into adulthood? I'll let you take this, Henry. Well, really it became, really it started in school between us having conversations around lunch, the free periods or right before we would go into school. And, you know, we went through stuff, sort of basic stuff, like general complaints as, well, I suppose everybody has done that. But it kind of, we started talking more about personal lives, little struggles we would have day to day. And I guess over time, we just felt comfortable having at least somebody to speak to on these things. So once school, once, you know, we finished up with our grades and graduated, we generally kept in contact with each other. And, you know, while a lot of our other contacts over time just sort of dwindled or went away on their own things, I you know there was more than a few that I knew that sort of went off, kind of lost contact with, or in general, we were never really that close to, to begin with. Mm -hmm. They went their own ways, but me, Torn, and Ryan, we kept in contact. And I guess part of it also came from another friend of ours who would sometimes hold these parties during the uh, winter months. <laughs> and I totally know she doesn't know anything about, about this, so I don't know why she's oh. laughing. She, that, was, that was an appropriate reaction, Stacey. I haven't told you anything about this, but just know that was the appropriate reaction to what you just said. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So no explanation needed there. So we, we were able to kind of keep in contact in the years after high school. And, you know, we, we were able to see each other's developments and we see the keep our interests in context and connection. So yeah, over time, like I guess we just had the comfort of being able to see each other still. We all lived around the city and we still do. All the others all sort of went to different places. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense too. And also, um, I'm actually, I didn't think of this, but I'm glad you, you mentioned that person's party. So this was this kid who was, we're not gonna mention names obviously, mm -hmm. but he went to our high school and he was, he, he had, he was pretty well off. Both both, both his uh, uh, parents had pretty uh, high-end jobs and 
he lived in like the nice part of Brooklyn and things like that. So he would invite a bunch of, because originally in our high school, we were part of a much larger social group. There were like, if you count the extended people, there were like 10, 20, 10, 12 of us. And he would he, he invite us all over for, for these annual Christmas parties. And I think a big reason why me, Henry, and Ryan stayed in touch is as you saw their lives progress, I'm going to be a little mean here, you saw the people who were doing stuff with their lives mm-hmm. and the people who weren't. And that's not an autism thing. That's I think everybody, a lot of people can, can identify with that where after high school, you start seeing the people who sort of trip over their own dicks. Yeah. And the people who actually start moving in the right direction. Not saying I didn't trip over my own dick because I did. But you saw people who were putting in work, who had drive. Henry, both Henry and Ryan, especially Henry, was one of those people where, Henry, you had drive. You, first of all, you knew what you wanted to do, what you wanted to major in before high school. You probably had the most clear-sighted direction of any of us. So at those parties, you saw the people who were sort of going places and sort of had the self-determination and the sort of self-discipline to do the hard stuff, to chase their dreams, and the people who didn't. And I, I love that you mentioned that because that's such a universal thing. You know, I'm Stacey, I'm always big on pointing out that autism isn't something wholly unique. Exactly. So mm. it, it's a universal thing. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Henry. Yeah, those those parties were a good way to see how people were doing. Uh, really, it's one reason I still hung around you online so much, because I could see that you know, we always had the context of our earlier conversations we could have, we could sort of just jump right in on. It was always cool to see how you guys were doing. And, you know, with the others, I guess there was, there just wasn't quite the connection there. We didn't quite keep in connect. We didn't quite know each other, any of the other's business. You know, I could think of a few from my own homeroom that I just lost contact with over the years. But looking back, we didn't really talk that much to begin with. Like, there was a little bit of distance there or simply put, a lot of their interests just weren't you know in sync well there was distance um but actually between me and henry we didn't really we knew of each other in school and we sometimes talked one thing i should mention about our high school is it was very tiny it was k through 12 but we took the 9 through 12 portion there mm-hmm. were only about a hundred or so kids. It was in the ballpark of about a hundred. It was a small school in a one-story building. It was, So everyone knew each other's stuff. So it's like regular high school, only everyone's even further up each other's asses. Yeah. So that was part of the reason there is that so, sort of people, there was a close-knit uh, aspect to it. So everyone talked to everybody. But I, me and him, we talked, we really like hang out outside school and things like that. Until I would say I went away to college because Henry Ryan stayed, you know, so how am I messing up my own history right now? So <laughs> I think we me, all and, me, me and Ryan went away to college to, to, to a college called SUNY Oswego, who I will put on black. They have blasts. They have a lot of money and they keep asking me for more money. Anyway, Henry stayed in the city. So we actually, there was a geographical barrier, but we actually started hanging out more during like breaks and stuff. Mm-hmm. In part because we were, all of us ended up going to universities, which one thing was sort of rare and sort of a sign of we were people who sort of applied ourselves. Yeah. So that's why I find interesting. Me and Ryan, we hung out while we were in school during mm-hmm. high school. Me and Henry, it, 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 me and you, Henry, it, it wasn't quite the same way. But after high school, <laughs> we, we, we definitely, the three of us definitely became very 
close-knit, especially after me and uh, Ryan finished high school. Got it. So, so what I'm hearing, uh, and, and Henry, you correct me if I'm hearing wrong, mm -hmm. I'm hearing that uh, autistic individuals develop human connections just like non-autistic individuals. Is that what I'm hearing? I think it, you're hearing it 100% correctly. We do, ah! we just personify it a little differently. You know, yes. it, it's the same song sung with slightly different verses, I have to say. Shit loads of of, of echolalia. I can never pronounce that word. Yes, Ooh. which, which um, I I will I will take that as uh, uh, research based evidence that autistic uh, persons individuals are human beings, right? Is that because I keep telling that to teachers, right? Like these are human beings, these are little people, these are children, and um, I feel like sometimes people don't see that. So I guess my our own school didn't see our own high school didn't see that. Yeah. It it, it was a, it wasn't inclusion, it was special ed. Mm -hmm. Um so everyone there has like an IEP. You have to have an IEP to get in there. Not mm -hmm. everyone was autistic. There were people with ADD. Um one girl who I strongly suspect had schizophrenia, uh, some OCD, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. but we did have the full American public school experience. Yes. Abuse was rampant. A teacher, we had a scandal when a teacher slept with a student. We had an act, the, 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 the graduation rate was terrible. We had an active shooter. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, full, and the active shooter was the guy, and I said this on the last podcast. Oh, no, I said this off recording to you. The active shooter was the guy that you said, who's most likely to be an active shooter? It was that guy. Like, we all knew this was, we knew it was going to happen a year in advance. We're just, I told you, I told Stacy, I was just, could happen a year after I graduated because Henry's a year behind me. And I was I just can... saying, I can say that I can say that that experience happened, and it was abrupt when it did, but nobody was surprised by it. Yeah, yeah. The dude was an arsonist. I was in school praying. It's like I was a senior when when this dude showed up. So I'm like, please, I'm the only kid. I'm the only kid on my block that's about to finish high school. Just, just, just let me finish high school for Christ's sake. Oh my gosh. Well, I will. Um, I will share with you a story. As a teacher, I went into a new district and. Uh, I went into a classroom and, you know, I talked to all the kids in this uh, young student uh, middle school, uh, walked up to the desk and said, hi. And I said, oh, hi. And immediately the teacher said, do not talk to him. And I was like, oh, okay, why is that? Now, I do not believe this child was uh, diagnosed with autism, but this student had just gotten out of like psychiatric hospital because couple of years previously, he got mad at his teacher and told his teacher he was going to burn her house down. And nobody thinks that's going to happen. Well, he burned the teacher's house down and had to go away for a little while, which, you know, you guys say <laughs> you weren't surprised that he was the active shooter. We were very surprised that a student would actually, and I think it was because he was a child with an IEP. And so everybody assumes, you know, oh, he's not competent enough to follow through on a criminal act. Uh, he did. <laughs> what is this phrase you always say, Stacey? Assume confidence? Yes. yes. You're always saying on this podcast, assume confidence. If a yes. student says he's going to burn the, his in the house down, he's assume he's competent to burn his house down. Exactly. Hmm. Yes. So, Henry, um, uh, I, I'm going to call those very wise words in my experience. Uh, some people <laughs> disagree with me, but I try not to underestimate a person's ability. I always assume a person has a few steps more of capabilities 
than they actually do because yes. sometimes they can surprise you. Of course. And one of the things, I guess we should get to actual traditional questions because we do have an audience made up. Uh, we do have a lot of parents in our audience and mm -hmm. they'd like to know some stuff uh, about autistic people because we often don't get a platform. So I'm going to ask a couple basic ones like, uh, how old were you diagnosed when you were diagnosed or, or were you officially diagnosed? Because I don't even know that. I was officially diagnosed, I want to say when I was between eight and 10 years old. I don't remember the diagnosis in particular. I do remember vaguely that there was kind of a discussion happening around it, but I was never really a part of that discussion. It was kind of the parents with the psychiatrists, but um, based on conversations, I was, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome mm -hmm. and maybe I want to say based on self-diagnosis so they don't not do not take this as official at all uh maybe some ADHD mm -hmm. the diagnosis is valid so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You, you know I um I I think what popped in my head just listening to you guys go back and forth and talk about school is a lot of times parents feel that their children should make friends with kids who also have an IEP or they should never make friends. And they're always trying to have them develop friendships and set up, you know, play dates with um, children who do not have an uh, autism diagnosis. And so I wonder from, from, you know, you, the both of you and, and your friendship and of course how it developed like all friendships do and how we all choose to maintain or not maintain a friendship. You know, do you have any advice in terms of, um, you know, I don't want to say guiding because I, I do think that sometimes parents feel the need to push friendships. And, and I think that it's important for those parents who are listening to realize that human connections develop, doesn't matter what a diagnosis or no diagnosis, that human beings connect based on what connections bring us together. And before I continue to ramble, just thinking, you know, do you guys have any thoughts on that in terms of parents either fostering, trying to push friendship or working too hard without just organically letting it occur? Um, oh, well, Henry, uh, actually, the story I'm thinking of for, for you is, we're not going to mention names, but the, 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 the kid that your parents tried to have a play, had to hook you up with a play date with, remember? I, yes. Um, thing <laughs> so we said that. Oh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. But uh, going back to your question earlier, Stacey, about mm -hmm. whether or not uh, about autistics being human beings, yes, they are. Uh, mm -hmm. We perceive the world just as clearly as anybody else. We just articulate it a bit differently, you know, mm -hmm. or, or we can't quite articulate it in a way that's easy to read for other people. Mm -hmm. And that being said, we are, we, connect better with people who can interpret or who understand our own little odd or personal nuances. I guess that's why me, Torn, and Ryan got along so well. We were very good at understanding each other and what we meant, what we were referencing during our conversations, certain struggles that we would have or frustrations we would have with things and how you know, they were occurring in the world or in the school or how the school would treat us, how people would view us. You know, I think that number one, speaking to parents, it's like in terms of wanting your kids to have friends or pushing them to have friends, the number one thing I'd say to do is try 
to understand the little nuances of your own child, understand how they work, how they see the world, their opinions on things, their stances, they have them. Just because that doesn't communicate it like in the way that you can get it or that's clear to understand, they do have them. Mm-hmm. And they will make friends with people who went with other kids and individuals who are better to more better at interpreting it. You know? mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really that's very insightful uh, for parents. Uh, and you know, I as a parent myself, my children are not autistic, but I just feel that a lot of times in conversations as a parent, not as a parent coach, but talking with other moms, you know moms put a lot of pressure on themselves to to feel that their worth as a parent is based on how many birthday parties their child gets invited to. And of course, I always look at it in terms of you're saving a lot of money when your child's not the popular one, because Mm. little Susie has to go to 12 birthday parties, you know, um, possibly more. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of birthday Mm. gifts to get. and, and so I try to help parents to see the silver lining of not being the most popular child in the classroom and on everyone's birthday list. But I do find that sometimes that push for, you know, play dates or developing friendships and knowing that children navigate to different groups as they grow and, and you know, friendships are not easy for anyone, right? You have to really, really trust someone. It's not just something to take lightly and one or two good true friends is is a win-win in a lifetime, right? Because people come and go. Uh, exactly. So I think that's insightful in terms of understanding it has to be someone that understands um, how you're communicating. That makes sense to me, Henry. I, no, I want it, it to make sense to others. <laughs> there's a lot of good points there. Uh, my favorite thing to look back at sometimes is the something against autism i think torrent told me the commercial once where they were speaking of autism like it was some sort of i am autism that's what he's referring to i am autism autism speaks ad the autism speaks yes i remember looking at that and they would show these people with autism playing alone or the one guy with the sandcastle but looking at them i know i'm like catching little nuances they weren't miserable at all. They were totally content doing mm-hmm. what they were doing. And that's what I recommend to the parents. Get to yeah. know your kids. See what they actually enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. It's not so, like just because you would not enjoy it doesn't mean they're not. Just yeah. because you, your idea of a fun time is being surrounded by people, maybe having only one or two good friends is all your kid really is asking for, all they would be really content with. Maybe building a sandcastle on a beach is what actually makes them happy. And if you're seeing that it's make them happy, you're doing well. Yes. Like do your best to keep the kid as happy as you can. Exactly. And, and I, I'm going to say really quick, Torin, so so that can give you a chance to respond. What's really funny. What's really funny is that after my parents will say in a coaching session, you know, I just want my child to have friends. And then numerous times they say about themselves, well, you know, I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> like, okay, so you're an introvert, but you want your child to be an extrovert. Like, what is that about, right? So then it it ends up coming right back to their own their own needs projecting onto their child, which yes. you know that's that happens a lot. Sometimes and, 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 and you see a lot of that with. Um, I'm trying to think of a politically correct way of, of stating this, and I'm not particularly good at that. Um, <laughs> you see a lot of parents who sort of their own because their own faults will sort of 
be inherited by the kid. And I don't want to say fault. Some of their characteristics and mannerisms that they're not a fan of will mm-hmm. be inherited by the kid. The kid will get diagnosed with autism and they'll be like, oh, it must be the autism. I made a joke with Stacy off air after one of our podcasts where I'm like, you ever get somebody who they go for the autism assessment and they're trying to put the round peg to the square hole and the yeah. doctor is like, their child might be autistic and the mother's all crying and stuff. And then you turn, and I just picture the camera panning in the corner and see the father and he's trying to put the square play, he's trying to put the round peg to the square hole too. And it's like, <laughs> it might not be the autism. Yeah. Yes. yes. I oh just think of the gosh. I just think of the the, the Simpsons meme, meme <laughs> with Grandpa Simpson where he's like, look at my genetics, bro. <laughs> my DNA goes. I, I know that one. <laughs> look at where my DNA goes. Exactly. One of the things that uh, and, and I'm glad glad to mention that. I have a whole bunch of questions. I think you have a lot of insight. One of the things, this sort of a left turn, but I really do do, do want to get this in, talk about this. Um, you've had, like many autistic people, you've, and I as well, dealt with a lot of burnout. Uh, for the audience, burnout is sort of a depression-like state that comes from prolonged periods of time dealing with like negative sensory inputs. So being at a demanding job or having to be in a classroom with a lot of bright lights and stuff, stuff that hits your, hits an autistic person with a lot of bad sensory input that they have trouble dealing with for prolonged periods of time can lead to a sort of, of depression-like state where you don't have a lot of energy and you might not sleep well, or you might sleep too much and you sort of lose your drive and your executive functioning sort of collapses mm. and suddenly simple things become hard and management of time and, and hygiene stuff can become difficult. Some autistic people uh, stop speaking and it's a real, kids get it too, but tends to present differently because children, autistic children haven't mastered a lot of those skills. Mm-hmm. So if it drops off, it's seen as weird or is the kid being uh, defiant. When it happens to an adult, the adult normally has mastery of things like uh, an autistic adult who can normally uh, verbalize or can take care of themselves, things like that, suddenly can't. You notice that because they have a relative mastery of those skills. Um, just to, to, to give the parents an idea of, of burnout. And you, you've you had some rough experience with burnout, especially after oh, uh, two particular jobs that happened back to back that oh, yeah. um, I, I'm tempted to name because fuck those people. Well, one's out of business, so I don't think anybody cares anymore. <laughs> oh, nice. Really? Yeah. It happened during the, the second pandemic, one. Well, uh, it, second one, yeah. They, they flopped. But then if they're out of business, you can say the name. Oh, yeah, but uh, made nice. That, oh, that place fuck those people. Nice. Overly operated from top to bottom. And kind of a weird concept anyway. You know, like, it was wants... sort of a hipster fast food place where they just treated people like slave, like they acted like the bosses acted like they were slave drivers. It, yes. It's was, it was kind of weird. They wanted high-end stuff in a low-end setting. Uh, weird. Yeah, they basically place. like, it was in the, they give contact, it was in the middle of like midtown Manhattan. So yeah, people yeah. want to feel bougie. They don't want to McDonald's because that's, that's what the poors do, but they want something with the convenience and the taste of McDonald's. Anyway, mm-hmm. after that, you went into what we now I realized was a deep burnout, probably lasted yes. at least a year. And we didn't know that at the time. And a lot of people don't seem to understand what burnout is. I didn't. I remember I uh, was less than supportive of that state, <laughs> if you recall, and I, mm-hmm. I feel really bad about that, but it's true. I'm, I'm not holding it now. I didn't understand what burnout was back then. 
but you were really struggling. You were having trouble like finding a direction. You were dealing with a lot of depression, yeah. like symptoms and things like that. So what is some of your experience with burnout and how did you overcome it? And how do you overcome periods of more uh, acute burnout? Well, for based on my experiences from what I've heard speaking to other people since, thing to remember with people who are autistic and people in general is autistic people, things that are automatic for most normal people, they are conscious focuses for us. You know, reading expressions, body postures, volumes, tones, little nuances, those are conscious focuses for us. Where everybody else, it just sort of happens automatically. We have to put our brains to work to interpret it at information as it comes. And so when things are kind of normal, we can function more or less normally, but when things become high stress, high demand, we not only have to focus on those things, but we have a bunch of other tasks that we have to complete, or there's a very large overarching task that we have to complete. We kind of have to start juggling things. And it sort of puts the brain in, I want to say kind of an overdrive. It's, I guess a word for it is the term overclocking, where you can get these things done, but it takes up a lot of energy and focus. And like anything, doing that for too long is going to lead to, I guess, a, a good comparison to a to a physical concept is a friction burn. Mm -hmm. Like it's just going to overheat. So when that happens, it's kind. Of, the reason the burnout happens is it's the brain's way of saying you have done too much for too long. Mm -hmm. You need to take a break, or you're going to suffer a collapse. Yeah, and you're going to take a break because your executive functioning collapses. So suddenly you can no longer be productive even if you wanted to. That's a big difference between autistics who are sort of burning the candle at both ends and most mm -hmm. neurotypical and non-autistic people is most non-autistic people can sort of grit their way through it for a certain period of time and then mm -hmm. collapse. For autistic people, we get that burnout, sort of like a check engine light. Mm -hmm. So our executive functioning will go down to an extent where we're no longer productive so we can, we have to take a break because we're not we're no longer being able to perform the tasks that we have to anyway. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. Before I learned about um, autistic burnout, uh, when I was in the classroom with my kiddos, or even just doing therapy, um, uh, speech therapy, or homeschool, I used to incorporate what I used to tell the kids: you're going to have a brain break, right? So let's say that the school has us on every nine weeks and then we have report cards. I may do three weeks of really good, good, you know, like um, just all the curriculum stuff and all the things that we have to do. And then we take a week off for brain break because I always felt like, you know, kids are working really hard. I didn't understand the concept of autism burnout, but even when I used to do the homes, you know, I would go into the home three or four times a week to work with kiddos, not ABA 40 hour style stuff, but just going in um, and modeling for parents. And I would say, we're gonna take you know, two weeks and I won't come in because they're working really, really hard, you know, and they just need a brain break, right? Because I knew that they were working hard. I just didn't understand how and why and all the nuances. And of course, I'm always learning and Torin knows, I'm always soaking up information, but um, I like to think that maybe that avoided some of that sort of uh, burnout and for my students to continue at a great pace without being overwhelmed. And I do talk to parents about overscheduling therapy, like overscheduling, um, because I can just imagine. I mean, I can't imagine, I really can't imagine, I, but I know it's hard work. 
like hard work for, for little ones. If it's hard work for adults, it's gotta be hard work for little ones. Like, do you guys remember when you were working so hard as kids in school and you didn't have a choice to take a brain were, break? Were you therapy? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're part of like that generation. So I, I said this the interview last week, we're part of that generation of autistic people when like they didn't really understand autism very well. So yeah. they didn't know what to do with us. They sort of just threw us off the deep end and like ah. if, if we, we either sank or swam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was sort of the mentality at the time we were in school. Like even before before the child school, especially like it was really hit and miss. Like you functioned well or you didn't. Yeah. And, and, and there wasn't a lot of care for it, it sort of past then. It's like mm-hmm. sort of stumble your way through if you can. And I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because that, that that brings up a really good question. There's also a, there's differences in experiences too. So you come from an immigrant household, something me and Stacy do not. Mm. And so it, expectations for you were different than me. Me growing up, as I said on this podcast, expectations were non-existent because I'm a black man grew up in the projects. So whether you're autistic or not. If you just imagine, if you just manage to not get somebody pregnant and stay out of prison by the time you're 25, that's considered a wild success, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. An immigrant household is different. Your father's a, a, a Guatemalan immigrant who started yep. as a bus, a started as a dishwasher, works way up the busboy, and then cook at the Waldorf Astoria, where they yes. hold like those president's correspondence meetings. So mm-hmm. sort of the stereotypical American success story. So talk about some of the diff- so some of the pressures that you had to sort of live up to that and some of the, mm-hmm. some, and if, and, and any, and if you had pressure and any pressures you might have received from like family members. The thing, okay, so the thing to remember at the core of all this, when, it come, when you mentioned the immigrant household is don't expect support. Even if it's, even if they could potentially give it, don't expect aid, don't expect links, don't expect referrals. They're not going to give it. Mm-hmm. you're pretty much on your own and they will and the way it happens is they will put x amount of expectations on you and if you don't meet them after a while they get frustrated they'll try again or they'll constantly kind of badger you on your lack of progress and if that doesn't happen then they'll probably move on to the next kid and they'll kind of forever look at you with a kind of i want to call it a tepidness it's like oh it's that guy and, and I'm glad you and, and, and you actually segued into my next question perfectly. So that was perfect timing when you said they'll move on to the next kid. Unlike me, I grew up as an only child. So I don't have the experience of, and I grew up only child with a single father. My mom died when I was young. So it was a very small sort of, it was just me and my dad for most of my developing years. You have two siblings, both parents, and a large, as, as, as someone who's Guatemalan, a large extended family. Mm-hmm. And but you're the only diagnosed autistic person in the family. Keyword on the only diagnosed only autistic diet. person. I, I'll just I'll, I'll just leave that there. What are do you ever feel a little bit like a black sheep, or have you ever felt that you weren't on the same page of the wavelength as the rest of the family? I suppose for a while I did, but at a certain point, and this goes out to other people who might be feeling this too, I realized that I could not dwell on what the family wanted because going back to what I said earlier I realized that 
the family was trying to project their expectations on me. They didn't actually know me. They didn't know the context of me, my interests, what I wanted to do. They were trying to project what they perceived as success onto me. And when I, I didn't meet that, they sort of gave up or got frustrated. But towards the end, I had to start focusing more on myself as I moved forward. I made connections with other people, other groups, other support. And honestly, that has been a lot more helpful, especially in trying to overcome a lot of the stresses that that kind of environment has left me with. And I found even, especially towards like what you said with the other members of my family, especially my brother, I've kind of ended up taking less of a black sheep role and have become among my siblings more of like the a support figure mm-hmm. and in some I'm also cases, the oldest so that plays a role too i'm the eldest and some so, i'm gonna be honest kind of pseudo parent especially i feel in the case of my brother between us all here uh because i noticed they sort of did the same to him as they did to me they were projecting expectations he really had no interest in or had no real capability to do without help And so I found myself more often than not having to take a kind of emotional and sort of developmental role model or guiding figure every now and then. More than every now and then. I I remember that when when he was a kid. Like everything Henry's saying, I can confirm as someone who who was there, who's around the house a lot. Um, And I'm sorry, Stacey, for for hogging the last, I'd say, 15 minutes with questions, but um, I do. I, I think a lot of the parents who listen uh, would like to know because they they hope their kids can grow up to be productive members of society. I say that with air quotes. Mm-hmm. You can't see, but I say that with air quotes. And despite Henry mentioning how he doesn't have how he's learned not to worry about his parents' expectations and stuff, Henry is an objectively successful person by pretty much any metric. Uh, you are, uh, you've known you want to be an illustrator since as long as I've known you. You went, to co- you went to a good school for illustration. You got into even better schools, just financial aid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, very talented artist. You, sup- you, do, you get at least a part of your income through commission work, which are so popular that your commission spots fill up a month ahead of time. You actually have to close commissions so you don't get mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Which yeah. I'm sure a lot of artists are probably like, fuck you. <laughs> and, and you're someone who, like like Ryan last week, coincidentally, um, you've been in a relatively long-term relationship. I, I don't off the top of my head remember how many years. So you can answer that. Uh, about eight years now, yeah. That many? Yeah, that's what I thought. Ryan was on, Ryan's, Ryan's going on 10. Ryan's going on oh, wow. 10 in May. Um, but and at least at least you didn't have to at least you didn't have to get choked out to get your girl. Oh, we talked about that on the, on the last episode. Um, <laughs> but so you're someone who is doing relatively productive. You make a decent amount of money. You're very well dressed, great hygiene, well well kept. You keep your room impeccable. Um, you 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 definitely you buy your own stuff. You definitely have a large measure of independence. You do what you want. You do you turn art into something that you get a living out of, which is rare for most people. Um, mm-hmm. You you and me are sort of standing uh, uh, apart from a lot of artists because you managed to do that. So you're definitely someone who a lot of people would say is objectively doing well in life for someone who's still in their twenties. What are some of the and this is a broad question I know. 
but what are some of the tips and tricks or struggles that you've had being or being a relatively successful autistic adult? Hmm. I suppose the fact that, you know, all things considered, that, you know, you're kind of expected to step up on your own. You're expected to basically not have any of the struggles of your younger years that let those are just kind of conveniently gone or it is seen as conveniently gone by people who still, to be fair, don't actually try to get to know me. Yes, I burnout is still a thing. As you pointed out, that was very recently. That was within like the last two years that that job happened. So I think the struggle is to remember that just because your kid is the adult, it doesn't mean like a lot of the stuff is outmoded or is in the past or it's a childhood thing. No, for some things, we're going to be struggling with these for the rest of our lives. And it's understanding this that I think becomes a conflict with parents and older figures of the family, you know? And it's sort of learning how to manage it, knowing how to read it. I feel like well, we end up having to put a lot more effort into it than they do. Mm -hmm. I, definitely, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and you've, you've done, I'll fill in some of the stuff too, just stuff I've seen. So Henry, if you walk in, into, into, into Henry's sort of living space, one of the things you'll notice right away is within 15 minutes, an alarm will go off. And another 15 minutes later or so, another alarm will go off. And the reason that you have all these alarms is to remind you to do things like eating and taking a break mm -hmm. and remembering to respond to your girlfriend and all sorts, and remembering to walk the dogs and all sorts of things that uh, you and a lot of autistic people struggle with, acts of daily living, struggle to remember sometimes when we mm -hmm. get really engrossed, especially when we get really busy adulting. Mm -hmm. um, you're somebody who you, you have a, you have a planner. So you schedule everything you sort of put, yes. you put in, you try to schedule your meal time. You put in the legit like nuts and bolts work mm -hmm. to keep your life relatively balanced. And I just wanted to mention that you didn't mention that. I wanted to mention that because I want people to know how much work you put in. We all put in, but you really put in to keep your shit together. Yeah, so there is a lot of struggle in terms of time management and such. Uh, I think the thing that happens a lot of the time is with autistics, I feel like as time goes on, they do, the thing to remember is keep track of the day. Uh, it becomes especially hard if you look at my living space because I'm in the lower levels of the house. It's not easy to see the sun. I don't get quite the proper day and night cycle. Mm -hmm. My circadian rhythm is kind of a little messed up, so I kind of have to put the extra effort in to keep track of what time we're at of the day. Uh, and I imagine for a lot of autistics, this is also a thing in the household where they are, I feel, and this maybe, maybe it's going to come off as a little insulting to some of the parents listening, but I'm going to have to say it anyway. If you have your kid living downstairs in the basement and you're wondering why their time management is off, then you remember is they're not getting the day and night cycle. Number one, <laughs> make sure they have this, the day and night cycle with the sun. Because if you don't, and it, the general atmosphere of their living area is like 3 p.m. all the time, then they're not going to have it. It's going to be difficult for them to manage a sort of measurement of time. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I... I... I love all this insight because for me, as someone who tries to help parents understand, and Torin knows I say this all the time, 
and I know I'm going back to children because you all are the adults who have sort of navigated and trying to figure all this out and what strategies work for you. And, and I am on the end of trying to help parents help their kids get to that point, right? And so one of the things I think that um, parents for some reason feel that their children need to be independent at five <laughs> and, and don't need supports. And, and I always think it's important. And I try to help parents realize that supports and strategies are how all of us should navigate our day, but specifically for individuals that are struggling with either communication or executive functioning, or just, you know, if we want to just umbrella autism in general, supports are important and strategies are important. So if alarms are what you need as an adult, mm -hmm that works for you, that's great. And so I hope parents who are listening um, really take this to heart in terms of, it's okay for you to remind your six-year-old to get their backpack or, or have visuals or, or, or an app on the phone or a visual schedule. It's not a, you know, a lot of times parents get caught up in, you know, well, I want them to be able to get up and get dressed and and, and get ready for school on their own. And I'm thinking they're four, like <laughs> when are four-year-olds responsible for their life? And, and I think part of it is parents feel this mad rush to get all these skills in place because someone said, if you don't do it before five, it's done deal. But also I think pan, pan, um, parents panic thinking their children won't be able to take care of themselves. And then they have expectations much sooner than, than they would for their child. That's not, you know, uh, uh, diagnosed with, with autism. And, and I just love that you're sharing this because this is how parents can shift their narrative, right? Around their expectations and be okay with, it's okay to have an alarm to remind you to get eat to, you know, whatever. And, and to, and, and I, you know, I know you guys don't hear this, but it, it, I hear parents on a daily basis say, I want my child to come and say, they never come and ask me for water. And then I explain to them, you know, because of the interoceptive and then the executive functioning and then the communication and your child is four. So you're in charge of making sure they have water. Right. <laughs> like, um, but even as an adult, some adults need reminders drink water. That's why somebody makes a bunch of money on this application on your phone that tells you to drink water. There's actually mm -hmm. several apps that say, drink water, drink a glass of water now, like an alarm goes off. And it's not for autistic individuals. It's just for reminding people to drink water. Exactly. And I'm glad you both mentioned, you mentioned your living situation and you mentioned sports. That ties into something I was going to say anyway, perfectly. The first time I visited Henry's house and you, you probably remember this. You just turned 18 and you were moving from the second floor to the basement. So his dad is Guatemalan. So um, Henry seemed really stressed. And I was like, what's wrong? His dad comes to the door and explains to me because Henry was trying to move a mattress by himself. <laughs> down to, Now, Henry's a big dude. Understand. You, you can't see him. Henry's about you're about 265, 6'4". You're, you're a big freaking yeah. dude. He's just a big dude. But he was trying to carry a mattress by himself down two flights of stairs. I asked his father, why aren't you helping him? And his father goes, it's um, in my culture, when a man turns 18, he has to be fully independent. He, he <laughs> needs to be on his own. So I'm like, so you can't help him drag a fucking mattress down the flight of stairs? Like, no. It's like, like no. he's moving out of your house yeah, like, exactly. that establishes independence. <laughs> 
It's like they made him the move mattress. all his shit by himself. So when you <laughs> talk about supports, I'm sure you saw both me and Henry sort of had looks like supports. The fuck is that? Because yeah. we, we didn't have that shit. We, we were on our own. And that's the problem. That's why I think what you've managed to do is so impressive because you didn't have any of that support. Mm-hmm. Like they cut everything off after the age of after after you turned 18 because of yeah. cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's just it's just been you and it's just been us and, and your girlfriend and yeah. just trying to figure out our 20s, just sort of bouncing around our 20s, trying to figure shit out, which I get yeah. is most people in their 20s. I get that. Um so I'm I'm just glad I'm glad you mentioned that. And what are some of the things that have sort of allowed you, Henry, to overcome all that stuff? What do you think are some of the things about you? Do you think do you think the autism has helped you, or it's just something personal to you? What has allowed you to overcome the complete lack of people giving a fuck? Honestly, one of the things I found that has really helped is I found other actual support groups, whether it was between you, Liz, people online, I found people I could actually talk to who would understand the points that I made and my stances, my struggles, my frustration, and who helped me disassemble them, work around them, work with them. You know, uh, because I realized I wasn't going to get that at home. Like that, that just wasn't an option. And so I realized, okay, I'm not getting it here. I'm going to have to find people who do understand this to help me out. And there's not really any shame in doing so. You know, everybody wants you to be just totally independent. They want you to be an island. But the fact of the matter is like, you're going to need to, you might need to at certain points of your life, hitch your wagon to other people. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that if it'll help you out, like if it helps you become stronger in a way. What's interesting is the, um, from my perspective, the contradiction of um, whether it's the Guatemalan culture or my family's in Puerto Rico um, or my family's in Mexico, there's a huge sense of community, but then it's like you're out on your own at 18. Yep. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like yeah. there's a sense of community, but like, oh, you got to get out. <laughs> yep. Like you're a man now. Yeah. It's like they, 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 they like, they teach their kids to swim, just throw them in the freaking pool. Pretty much. Like, if he wants to breathe, he'll learn how to swim. Yeah. Yeah. So Henry, is your mom um still around? Yeah, she's actually she's still around. She's still here. Uh she I think still works in the veterinary business. And she, uh both parents, she's probably been the most active in my my siblings' life. Mm-hmm. Uh my dad sort of my dad sort of just, he, he goes off and he works, uh, but, you know, he kind of wants us all to share the same interests. Mm-hmm. But with her, she, like I said, she's the example of a parent who put effort into at least making, at least trying to mm-hmm. figure me and my siblings out, mm-hmm. what our interest was. And she was always much more happy with us kind of discovering for ourselves what we liked. Mm-hmm. Although, so you had that balance. Sort of. The, yeah. it, it was kind of hit and miss, but mm-hmm. it was nice to at least have a little something there. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful for kids. When, you know, I always say um, in my experience, this is just my experience, my students who have thrived um, without necessarily because of this therapist or because of that therapist, because of this school, it's really been because they're parents have really just supported and stood behind them and followed their lead in terms of their interest and not tried to make them into what they wanted them to be or 
yes. um, take away what they just really like to do, like illustration. So your kiddo likes to draw, let them draw, right? Like everyone's yeah. not supposed to be um, an astronaut lawyer or a teacher or whatever those five categories that come to career day, police officer, fireman. Nurse, apparently doctor. YouTuber is a career now, evidently. Yeah. You know, I have to say as a mom of two boys that were younger when the game means stuff came out, I was in that generation of parents who said, you can't make a living doing that. Get your books. <laughs> and now you can. So I don't know what parents are, are pushing back on now because, um, you know, people are making a living out of spending a lot of time playing games. And I'm not sure what mamas can say now because except for get off the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, I'm pretty much good with, I think we're, we're, we're running up against time. We try to keep these from being too long, even though I could talk like this, I could go on like this with you two for, for hours and hours. Um, we try to cap these to the length, to, to the length of a really long visit to the toilet. So I'm pretty much, I, I've, I've, I've said most of the questions I have. Is there anything you'd like to say before we go? Anything we didn't think of? Uh, going back, uh, I think, to what uh, Stacy mentioned earlier uh, about parents trying to, about parents getting frustrated with the kids trying to get them to do things a specific way. Be, and this is going out to the parents. Mm -hmm. Be very careful about scolding your kids to do these things. You are not imparting what you might think that you're giving. If you constantly go at your kids about being clean or their hygiene, how they dress, getting things done in a timely manner, doing their tasks around the house, do not meet it with hostility. You are probably teaching your kids to resent or try to avoid these things than anything else. They will push it to a lower priority in their mind because you have created an association of very negative response around it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to light, you're not, might not be lighting the fire underneath their feet that you think they are. You might actually be making the problem worse. Yeah. And so I will say as an, uh, a final statement that um, I think that we need to all come back together and talk about what that looks like for parents in terms of how do you not get upset about those little things? Because, you know, the reality is um, some parents really just don't have the capacity to um, just wait or, or leave a toy on the floor. Um, and I'm using those, you know, simple examples. So I think it would be great for, for us to get together and maybe from, if you can recall, right, your childhood, um, uh, what to do, what not to do. Um, I think that would be really insightful. But we, de we definitely have to have, have you back on. You're yeah. definitely going to be a recurring guest. Yeah, yeah. I'll be glad to do so. Thank, 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 you, thank you for joining us, Henry. Of yes, course. Thank you. I think we're good here. All, All right. right. And, and I will say, I know you're stopping the recording, but I, I don't want this to be recorded. You can stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's going in because we're still rolling. So that's going in. <laughs> See ya.